Guys, if you would uh, turn in your copy of the scriptures, if you have a copy with you, to Ecclesiastes 11. Uh, we're going to go from 11.7 through the end of uh, chapter 12, um, starting to wrap up the book tonight. But um, You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes has just been uh, walking us through thing after thing that if you try to find meaning in this, meaning in that, you know, meaning in, in work, in relationships, in, in um in unhindered pleasure, in uh, all sorts of things, in building wealth. If you try to do any of that stuff apart from God, it's just all meaningless, and it's empty, and it's unsatisfying. And, and uh, his purpose in that is that we'd stop looking all around us for something to anchor ourselves in, and we'd look up to the Creator. Stop trying to put your hope in the, in the, in the creation and the things around you, but would you look to the Creator? And you'll see that... Um, uh, very poignantly tonight, I, I pray. Um, but the kind of the subtitle of this message, uh, or first of all, aging is meaningless without Jesus. But, you know, how can we enjoy life in the face of aging and death that we just can't escape? So that's where we'll be tonight. But um, as we, uh, before we, we get into the Word, I'll, I'll just tell on myself, you know, um, my friends who know me well have kind of seen this journey. My wife especially has seen this journey. But I, I've kind of always had some back and neck problems for as long as I've been an adult. And, uh, but about, I don't know, a few years ago, something like clicked in me where I was just going to be ultra into taking care of my body, taking care of my health. And it was a, a panic that happened. And uh, there's been a lot of negative energy expended in, in trying to take care of myself. And I, I really think I was here one day, I was listening to an older person uh, share prayer requests and, and hearing them talk about having the arthritis. And I just thought, oh no, I don't, I don't want that. You know, you know this person has back, is complaining of their back pain and having arthritis. And, and I got back pain, and if I don't start taking care of myself now, then I'm just going to... I'm going to get there sooner than I'm ready to. And, uh, you know, I, what I did is I sort of, I, you know, I wasn't doing much to take care of myself then, but I, the pendulum swung and I reacted, right? And uh, so all these doctor visits and learning uh, how to stretch and, and all, all manner of things. And at one point, I was so much of a uh, hypochondriac. Like I had this tingling feeling on my head, and it wasn't even an intense tingling. It was just kind of mild, but I knew it shouldn't be there. And so I went to all these doctor visits, even went so far as to getting a brain scan. I paid to have an MRI for them to look at my brain and then tell me it was nothing wrong, which of course is a great relief, right? But um, <laughs> at least nothing wrong that they could tell. Um, I really think it was just like some muscle tightness, pinching on some nerves and, and stuff, but I would say uh, I used to freely just accept, like, I'm, I'm a hypochondriac. I just, I think too much about this stuff. I spend way too much time on WebMD. And uh, I've learned not to do that, especially at work. You don't get much done then. But, um, but uh, I would say now that I, because of the grace of God, I am a recovering hypochondriac. Hi, I'm Casey Adams. I'm a recovering hypochondriac. I, hi, Andrew. Are you a recovering No. Yeah, I didn't think you were. But, um, you know, the peace for me has really come in, in knowing the Lord more and just surrendering, saying, God, if, if I got the COVID, you do with me whatever you want, okay? My body is yours, um, or whatever it is. Um, 
that hadn't been as big a struggle as I would have thought years ago. But, but I think really, all in all, if you want to sum it up, I've just encountered this strange and ancient phenomenon that is known as aging. And Christina tries, my wife tries to tell me all the time, part of this just is just getting older. And I'm like, no. I, I read this. I look at Dale. Dale runs. He's very healthy. He doesn't look as old as he is. And um, you know, I read this New York Times article, Dale, and people who run every day, they're 90 years old, and they feel great. And I'm like, that's going to be me. And so I tried running for two months. I was going to do a couch to 5K. I think I got to 3K. But anyway, that's, uh, then, I went, then I went back to my couch. Yeah, yeah right. Um, so, you know, we, our culture, we just want to stay forever young. And, and, uh, but the, the, the plain truth is you're going to get older. It's going to get worse. It's going to hurt more. I see Donnie nodding his head. It's going to hurt more, and, and eventually you're going to die. This whole body is going to fail on it. And so if you really start to think about that, it can be really depressing. It was for me. It was pretty dark. And, and, um, and so what hope? Is there in the face of inevitable aging and eventual death? And, and, I, and I believe the writer of Ecclesiastes gives us, points us to that hope t- tonight. So um, let, we'll just go ahead and read the whole passage and then walk through it section by section. Starting with chapter 11, verse 7. It's up on the screen if you don't have a copy with you. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Chapter 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dim and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and the one ri- and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the street. Turn to him before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the source, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his
this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Father, we come wanting to understand your word. We come wanting to hear you speak. And you promised to speak. You promised uh, to give bread to the hungry and water to the thirsty through your word. And I pray that you would satisfy our thirsty souls through your word tonight. God, may we worship. Would you help me to worship? I pray that in Jesus' name. So, verse 7, uh, we'll just walk through this. He says, light is sweet. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It's just a metaphorical way of saying, life is good. It's good to, to see the sun rise. It's good to see another new day. And he says in verse 8, so enjoy life. God, you know, God is good. He, he, enjoy life as God has intended. He's given us the gift of life. But then he, um, just like a cloud at the end of verse 8, it says, but remember, Many days of darkness are coming. Many hard times. It's going to get harder, as we said. And then in verse 9, he gives a special word to young people in particular. He says, Rejoice, O young man, O young woman, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Have fun. Have fun. Uh, you know, and he says, uh, next, something that I think is surprising. He says, Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. And I know that you guys have, sat under um, our preaching, you've heard us say many times, don't follow your heart, right? Don't follow your heart. Uh, The culture says follow your heart. The Bible says don't follow your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Who can trust it? And and yes, that's that's true. Your heart will deceive you. It will lead you astray. Uh, Giving full vent to your desires, it will lead you away from God because your desire is naturally for sin. But here he says, walk in the ways of your heart. Effectively, do what you want to do. Walk in the, in the sight of your eyes. You know, go after what seems pleasing to you. But then he balances it with that warning at the end. He says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And I would sum this up uh, in my own words by saying, have fun. Have fun in the fear of God. Have fun in the fear of God. And you may hear me say that, and, and you are just completely puzzled, like, how can you do both? How can you both, you know, go after life with vigor and, and have fun and enjoy it and also live fearful of God? And um, I've learned from, from Tim in particular that uh, the Bible, as you go through the wisdom literature, is it just introduces all sorts of tensions, all sorts of things that we're to hold together and, you know, is, is God sovereign over every detail? If he, is he in control of everything? Or is man responsible? Is he accountable? Yes, they are both true. And you hold those things in tension. Um, you look in, in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. It, uh, verse 4 says, don't rebuke a fool, because then you'll be carried along in his foolishness. And the very next verse says, rebuke a fool, lest he continue in his foolishness. And people will tell you that the Bible contradicts itself. And you, and you look at it, and it's two verses back-to-back that seem like they're saying two different things. Either the Bible writers were idiots, or they were highly intelligent. And they were, they're introducing this, this tension. These, these two things. Sometimes you should, what it's saying is sometimes you should rebuke a fool, and sometimes you shouldn't. And you need wisdom to know the difference. So there's all sorts of tensions that we're to walk in, but let's, let's get um, 
Let's talk about that. Have fun. Enjoy life as, as God intended. You know, as I uh, read Psalm 16 to introduce the service, talking about the Garden of Eden, as, as you think about the Garden of Eden, you know, we, we do tend to think of God as a, as a fuddy-duddy or the killjoy, right? As, as one who says no all the time. Maybe you've grown up thinking of him like that, or you stand in a church that, was, that basically taught that. But you, but you see in, in, in the Garden of Eden in particular that he gave all manners of beautiful trees, delicious fruit to eat, all these trees that you could enjoy that he gave to Adam and Eve. And there was one no, there was one thing that you couldn't enjoy. And God gives us good things to enjoy, but we're to enjoy them within the boundaries that he gives. Uh, the way God first taught this to me as a as a young man was was with regards to um, to sex and marriage. You know, um, basically physical intimacy is a good thing. It's a good gift from God, but it's but He gives it to be enjoyed within the boundaries of marriage. And when you step outside of those boundaries, pain, heartache. I. Um, came across this article once that was uh, just talking about women in particular and saying that with each partner that they had, they were able, with each partner that they were physically intimate with, partner after partner, they were less able to be intimate in terms of sharing their souls. And it's like increasingly hardened and, and, um, and hurt from that. And God, he gives us, it, it's a good gift, amen? He, he gives it as a good gift but it's meant to be enjoyed within the boundary. And in that boundary of lifelong marriage, it's, uh, you know, you can enjoy it a lot. Um, Somebody just got uncomfortable. But um, anyway, he gives good gifts, but they're to be enjoyed within his boundaries. Um, Anyone ever think about, just think about God's good gifts. You ever think about food and how, God didn't just give us like plain crackers, right? I mean, there's all manners of varieties of food. Any of you guys ever seen Ratatouille? Uh, Ratatouille is, you know, I don't know if it's a Disney movie, but it's a cartoon movie about this mouse, a rat who lives in Italy, and he just loves cooking, and he's trying to, you know, get away from the rat race, so to speak, to, to be a chef, to go after that dream. And, and Ratatouille is talking about his love of food, and he's like, you got this food that tastes Wonderful, and you got that food that tastes wonderful, and then you put them together, and, and it's like fireworks going off in his imagination because he's like he's just exploring that artistry of food of of combining the the sweet and the salty and the and the the bitter and the spicy, and and uh, it's fun to to experiment right that, and and you know just thinking about God, He didn't just make it plain, but He gives us all manner of delicious food. He gave us taste buds, right? Because He wants to enjoy it. He's a good God. He's a good giver, and. Um, and it's fun to enjoy those those things together a lot of times. And, you know, last week we were we were sitting outside, we were eating Golden Corral, and maybe some of you guys are the, the types so you don't like your food to touch. That's not me. Uh, I I was dipping my, I was getting a fork full of meatloaf, and then I was coming over here and, and, and getting the mashed potatoes to come along for a ride, and I wanted to slap Brett Carver. That food was so good. He picked that menu out. and uh, But I, I love to combine those and just, Sometimes I go a little too far, though. You should, you should just ask my wife about the smoothie I made yesterday. Um, a little too much in that one, but um, 
He told me not to drink the whole thing, but I did it anyway. <laughs> but God, my point is this. God is a beautiful giver. He loves to give. He gives us food and music and relationships and children. He gives us friendships. He, God is a, a good, he gives us beautiful landscapes, the mountains and the beach, and all of these are gifts from the Creator that He means to, for us to enjoy with thanksgiving. And if you're not living in a constant heart mode of thanksgiving, something is wrong because He's constantly giving. But He wants us to enjoy His gift. To, we are to enjoy the Creator's gift but not at the snubbing of the Creator. We enjoy the Creator's gifts, but not at the snubbing of the Creator. We're to enjoy what He gives as true gifts, not to steal from God. Sometimes we want something so bad, we pine after it, we lust after it, we daydream about it, we sacrifice precious things in order to get it. We make idols out of that thing. We think, if I get that thing, then, then I'll be happy, I'll be complete. And, and we make idols out of God's creation, and instead of worshiping the Creator, we worship created stuff. Now, how does that work out for us? Now, that's not receiving those things as a gift. That's stealing from the Lord. And, and Proverbs 20, verse 17 puts it like this. It says, stolen bread tastes sweet initially, but it turns to gravel in the mouth. Painful. And God doesn't mean for us to eat gravel, right? Uh, he wants us to be reconciled to Him as the giver and to enjoy His gifts from His hand in peace with Him. He says in, in, in verse 10, remove vexation from your heart. What vexes you more than guilt, than knowing that you've stolen from the Creator, that you deserve judgment, you've done something wrong. What vexes you more than shame, this feeling that you're, that you're not enough? You know, I read this article um, earlier on in this COVID pandemic, and it basically made the um, assertion that so many of us, generally speaking, okay, generally speaking, that there is this panic because we're afraid to die. And we're afraid to die because we're guilty. We know we deserve to die. And that guilt leads us to um, try all, all manner of ways to prevent what's inevitable, that death, that judgment day. But he says, remove vexation from your heart. And he might be saying here, you know, lighten up. Live, you know, put away distress. You know, put away pain from your body. Stay healthy. You only live so long enjoying it. But as I've looked more at this passage, I think what vexes you more than realizing that you're an enemy of God and that you'll have to stand under His judgment? And so, how do you remove vexation from from your heart? It's by being reconciled to God, by being at peace with God. And how are we at peace with God? Romans. 5.1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God, it comes from knowing that Jesus has settled it all. 
when Jesus died on the cross, before he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. What was he talking about? He was saying, I have paid for your debt in full. The horrendous death that Jesus died was the wrath of God being poured out upon him. When we look up at Jesus on the cross, we see what we deserve. We see how God truly feels about sin, that he's offended, that he's angry, that he's grieved over it. And that wrath that, that Jesus took, he took in your place if you'll receive it. And so knowing that Jesus has settled the account in full, there's no more fear of judgment. And there can be peace with God. And if that's not enough, you know, not only does Jesus settle all accounts, not only does he satisfy the punishment, but he also conveys on us his righteousness. He lived an obedient life. He was obedient to God in every way. He never did anything he wasn't supposed to do. And he always obeyed God in what he should do and what God commanded him. And his righteousness is the record of his life. He takes that record, that A-plus grade for a life, if you will, and he trades it with your big fat F. And he says, you be credited with that A-plus. I'll take the F. I will take the punishment that, that, that comes with that grade. You can have my righteousness. And in his righteousness, we can come before the Father knowing that, uh, that not only is he just you know, not wanting to punish us anymore, but he welcomes us. He welcomes us as a son and daughter. And so we can have peace with God. And, uh, and being reconciled to the giver, we can enjoy life as a gift from the Father. Second, second point, how we can enjoy, um, enjoy life in the face of aging and death is, is to turn to your Creator before your aging body fails you. Turn to your Creator before your aging body fails you. As I've said, it's inevitable, right? You can't escape it. Uh, regardless of whatever science comes up with, regardless of whatever uh, makeup the ads throw at you, uh, you're just going to get old, okay? And, and, um, and you're going to start looking uglier, and, and it's okay, all right? <laughs> uh, but, um, and you look in... in at the beginning here of chapter 12, I won't go through it verse by verse, but there's image after image of, of just failing and giving out. That, um, you know, the sun and the moon start to darken. He's talking about your, you just can't see as well. You know, the, the clouds come after the rain. And he talks about the keepers of the house starting to tremble. I, you know, most people think that's the, your legs starting to tremble. And the strong men are bent. Your, your shoulders t start, start to stoop. The grinders cease. Talking about your feet, um, your teeth. Um, you know, you just you lose your teeth, and you and you, and it's harder to eat and whatever. Um, it goes on to say that, you know, you rise up at the sound of a bird. Uh, you, you know, I heard older people, or maybe you are an older person who, um, you just you can't sleep because you, you you know the slightest little thing wakes you up. And just being afraid of terrors in the way. Um, any of you guys ever known uh, an older person who, they were just highly fearful of their neighborhood, of someone about to break in any time, and they just maybe even couldn't sleep because of it. And, and you look out at their neighborhood and you think, okay to me. Um, and, uh, but they're just, 
more and more afraid uh, for their own safety. And it's, it's a sad uh, thing to see. Um, he says the grasshopper drags along, your energy fades, desire fails. The, you know, literally the caperberry doesn't, the aphrodisiac doesn't help you anymore. You know, even that which you may feel like you have a lot of desire for now, even that's failed. Um, and then eventually he's, uh, in ver- right along verse 6, he starts gives, giving these images for, uh, for a well, for the cord being snapped, for the jar being broken, uh, the pitcher being shattered, that eventually you're not just going to fail. You know, it's not just increasing frailty, but it, eventually you're just going gonna, gonna to die. He says, turn to your creator before that happens. Turn to your creator before you get older. And um, he's saying, you know, you need to turn to God before it's too late. But I think he's also saying a special word to, to young people. You know, remember your creator in the days of your youth. He's saying establish good habits now. You know, don't, don't believe the lie that at some point you're just going to be able to give yourself wholeheartedly to God. He's saying... You know, you may think that, you know, I, I don't have a good habit of, of Bible reading. I don't have a good habit of gathering with the church. I don't have a good habit of speaking up for the Lord and, and evangelism. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to live my life like I want. I'm going to take it casual, and, and I'll, I'll establish that later. Uh, but maybe some others can testify to this. But I've, what I've observed is as people get older, they develop these patterns of life, these habits that are harder and harder to break. Uh, they have these habits of turning to you know, even after they come to the Lord, just harder to break free from alcohol or from turning to entertainment or turning to shopping to numb the pain, turning to um, all manner of things. Um, it's just difficult to, to get out of those habits. And so it's easier to, to start the patterns um, while you're younger. To kind of illustrate the, the power of habit, I uh, listened to this book called The Power of Habit. Uh, by Charles Duhigg, and he tells the story of this this man with severe dementia. And he barely recognized his wife some days, but he'd go on these walks around his neighborhood, and he'd come home just fine. And uh, and so, like, how does he how is he able to find his way home without any trouble? And it's just habits get ingrained in your brain that you do them without even thinking. And so. Turn to Creator now in the days of your youth. Don't, don't wait. Um, at the end here, he's, he's saying, you know, kind of our final, final point to kind of try to push to a close. He says, fear, you know, I'd sum it up by saying, fear God who will judge you. Obeying Christ and building your life on His wisdom. Fear God who will judge you. Obeying Christ and building your life on His wisdom. He says that, the words of the wise are like goads. You can try to do your own thing. You can try to live life apart from the Lord. You can try to find satisfaction and meaning and purpose apart from the Creator. But it, you're just kicking against the goads. And the meaninglessness that you find in that, the emptiness that you find in that, that is Jesus trying to goad you back to Himself. A goad being, um, you see an image of one here, something that, that they would prod cattle with or prod sheep with, or even you see that hook, you know, pull them back when they're getting out of the way. And the Lord is doing that in your life. 
I very often hear God saying to me, how long, Casey, are you going to kick against the goads? How long are you going to push against your limits? And, and you, you know, you walk with the Lord long enough and, and you learn to recognize when, no, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't keep pushing for that. And, um, and uh, you know, he's, he's saying, don't kick against the goads. You know, you maybe have tried to uh, create your own purpose, create, find your own meaning for your life uh, apart from God, but have only come up against frustration and bitterness and misery and confusion. But, you know, just as Christ met Paul on the road to Damascus, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. If you've seen the movie The Help, uh, there's this moment at the end where um, the main character, she's just a righteous woman, and, and, and she says to this woman who had just abused her and mistreated her all her life, and, and she says, Miss Hilly, ain't you tired? Ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? And I think about that a lot. Are, are you not tired of kicking against the goads? Hebrews 12, 9 says, Submit to the Father and live. In submission to the Father is life. And, his, and it says that also building your life on his wisdom, it's like nails firmly fixed. It gives you a firm foundation. And he tells us to, at the end of the matter, fear God, keep his commandments, live in light of the judgment, that God is going to bring every deed in the judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. And this is where there's real meaning for life. You know, you don't want to chase after other gods because of the sorrows and also because of eventually you're going to stand before God in judgment. And it says we'll give an account for every careless word we've spoken. It says, Romans 2.16, that God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. That every secret thought you've ever had, every, um, every thought of sin, every, every careless word of sin, all of it, God is going to open His book of life and he's going to, you're going to see your record and it's going to be obvious to you then, if it's not obvious to you now, that you deserve judgment. And our confession is only that Christ has paid it. But if you don't have Christ, then you have no hope. You'll have no hope on that day of judgment. But also notice that he says that he's going to bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And I don't think, there's an article I put in the bulletin, uh, Faithfulness in Forgotten Places. I'd encourage you to read it because uh, it expounds upon this more. I won't expound on it as much as I want to now. But, but God notices every good that you do. Every act of service that you do to Him. He notices it and He promises to reward it. Uh, just to give you a few verses here um, in Ephesians 6, if you can give that to us, to Shannon. He's talking about your work. He's talking about um, being a bondservant or what, you know, kind of the modern day term would just simply be an employee. He's like, don't, as an employee, don't just work for eye service when your boss can see you, but, but work as unto Christ and, and, and do your, your job, do, you know, complete those tasks like you're completing them for, for the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus sees that and, and, and what it, verse 8, it says, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whatever good you are doing on a day-to-day -day basis, God takes notice of it, and God promises to reward it. Is not that the meaningful life? 
the most mundane tasks, the changing of the diaper, wh you know, whatever mundane thing you do at your, at your job, um, picking up trash off this dirty street, you know, uh, you know, God notices it all and, and, and accepts it as service unto him. In Matthew 6, he, he speaks of rewarding us for giving to the needy, of, for praying in the closet, for fasting in secret, things that only he sees. And he promises to reward them. In Matthew 25, he says, when you, when you um, feed the hungry, when you, when you clothe the naked, when you give the thirsty something to drink, when you visit the prisoner, you may not realize it, but you're serving the Lord Jesus in, in each act of service that you do. And he takes notice of that and promises to reward it. Even so far as Matthew 10, 42, it says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And in this is the meaningful life. Proverbs 12, 22. I'll give you one more verse. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But God, God knows when you are lying. And it's an abomination to Him. Something that makes Him angry. But those who act faithfully are His delight. He takes pleasure in your simple act of obedience. And that's where the meaningful life is. Fear God who will judge you, obeying Christ and building your life on Jesus. Um, if I can close by giving a final word to, um, to young people and a final word to old people, I'll let you decide what category you're in, okay? Uh, I'm not going to get myself in trouble and parse that out, but, you know, the final, final word to the young is turn to your Creator with your whole heart now. Like, establish good habits. Give it, don't, don't hold anything back thinking that there's some pleasure somewhere else, but, but know that in, in Him is fullness of joy. Um, at His right hand is, is pleasures forevermore. Don't think that you'll get to this tomorrow. Turn to your Creator now and live in submission to Him. There is life. Enjoy the Creator's gifts in submission to the Creator. Enjoy the Creator's gifts in submission to the Creator. And if I can get a final word to, to, to the old or to the aging, you're going to get older it's going to get harder. You're going to become more and more dependent. And in a lot of ways, that's something to be sorrowful about, right? But I would also just challenge you to embrace that as an opportunity to know the Lord in deepening ways. That as you are needier and needier, that you would look to the Lord for each need that you have, whether it's even the need to to get up and walk if it gets to that point, you know, looking to him as your father. You know, as, as children, we mature, we become independent, and then it's like we, we kind of, you know, kind of, we become more childlike, more and more so as, as we get older. But as, as you become more and more childlike, look to the father more and more. Isaiah uh, 45, 4, God says, you know, even to your gray hairs in old age, I, I am he. I will carry you. I will carry you. Our culture says that staying forever young comes from doing whatever you want, but, but the scripture says that being forever young at heart uh, comes with facing your limitations, facing aging, facing mortality, and facing it in the face of God, facing it with God, and knowing him as your shepherd, walking alongside of you, meeting your every need. Let's pray.